Hello, it is Oliver Wong with another mailbag mini episode answering your questions. These were submitted from our audience members on the Facebook group for Heat Rocks. First of all, I'm going to start with Daniel Spector and wanted to know about covers that eclipse originals to the point of the original being mostly forgotten uh, or unknown. And love this question. I think one of the biggest examples is Tainted Love, a song that if you have heard the name and you imagine what it sounds like, most likely you are thinking of this. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away. I've got to get away from the pain you drive into the heart of me. That is the 1981 version of Tainted Love recorded by Soft Cell, a song that as someone who was a kid in the 1980s. I certainly heard on the radio a lot, especially because I listened to a lot of rock, modern rock, as I've talked about on the show. And for all I knew as a youngin, that was a soft sell song. Now, I probably should have been clued into the fact that this particular soft sell single was actually originally released as a medley with Tainted Love being then blended into the Supreme's Where Did Our Love Go? And if the back half was a cover, in hindsight, it maybe should have occurred to me that the front half was a cover, but the main difference was I was vaguely familiar with Where Did Our Love Go by the Supremes because you would hear it on oldies radio stations all the time. I had never heard an original version of Tainted Love until I was probably in my 20s or even 30s when I first began to explore what's known as the Northern Soul scene. And for those of you unfamiliar, this was started I think in the 1970s by DJs throughout Great Britain playing primarily very obscure Motown era music of the 1960s. And it was in the Northern Soul scene that the original version of Tainted Love was in effect back then rediscovered as a hit. This is the original version of Tainted Love recorded in 1964 and released in 1965 by Gloria Jones. Sometimes I feel I've got to Jones recorded this song as a teenager, having been discovered by songwriter Ed Cobb in Los Angeles. And when it was first released, it was not a hit at all. It mostly dwelled in obscurity for close to the next 10 years until Northern Soul DJs in the early mid-1970s came across it while coming to the States to buy up obscure Motown-era singles, of which this certainly qualifies, and they're the ones who turned it into a massive hit within the UK thanks to that Northern Soul scene. One has to wager, at least I would wager, that the reason why Soft Cell knew about it was because of it getting played in different Northern Soul clubs uh, that they would have grown up listening to. And it actually makes a lot of sense, therefore, that Tainted Love would get mashed together in a medley with the Supremes because they both are recorded from the same era, reflect the same sound. Jones, in fact, became a songwriter for Motown for a spell, but that first single, like I was saying, was obscure until the 70s. And then, of course, Soft Cell ends up covering it and really blowing it up globally. And it is the version that I think most people by far know best, except for perhaps Northern Soul aficionados, who will loyally, I'm sure, stand next to the Gloria Jones original. I give you all the girl can give you. 
two other examples in response to Daniel's question. And these both come from the same artist who either you could say is one of the most genius songwriters in rock and roll history or just had profoundly bad luck that his original versions of these songs are not the ones that people remember. And I'm talking about Richard Berry and the Pharaohs who were responsible for both the 1959 original version of Have Love, Will Travel, and far more famously were the originators of a 1955 song that you might know as Louie Louie. Unlike Tainted Love, the original version of Louie Louie was not a flop, but it was just merely a modest hit. Uh, not enough for Richard Berry to retire off of, and as a result, he actually signed away the rights to the songs later in the 1950s, which is how it found its way to the Kingsmen by 1963, who recorded the best-known version of this song. Do I even need to play it? Okay, what the hell. Kingsman's version of Louie Louie is one of the most famous songs in rock and roll history. There has been probably entire books, or at least chapters of books written about it because it got caught up in Red Scare paranoia because they thought the lyrics were had subversive content because no one could understand what the Kingsmen were singing. It doesn't really matter. Well, maybe it actually it does matter because it's such an important song in rock and roll history. One thing I want to note, though, is that the original inspiration for Richard Berry's version of Louie Louie was an Afro-Latin dance song done by René Touzette called El Loco Cha-Cha. You got layers going on with Louie Louie. As I mentioned earlier, Richard Berry and the Pharaohs were also responsible for another song that is much better known by its cover, and that is Have Love Will Travel. This is the original Berry and the Pharaohs version recorded in 1959. There's not a version of Have Love Will Travel that has the same kind of universal recognition, but it is notable that any other group, especially of the last 30, 40 years, that has done a cover version of Have Love Will Travel, they're not riffing on Barry's original composition or arrangement. Rather, they are covering what I would say is the definitive cover version of this song because it has become the version that everyone riffs off of. And this was done in 1965 by the proto-garage band The Sonics out of Tacoma, Washington.
as a postscript, even though Richard Berry never became famous back when he originally recorded his songs, in the early 80s, because Louie Lou was such a hit, when it came time for someone wanting to license the song, as it turns out, they needed to go back and get Barry's permission, and he was able to profit, albeit 30 years after the fact, quite nicely off of it. So he did enjoy some of the fruits of his labor, albeit at towards the end of his life. Okay, for the second question that I'm going to answer on this episode, I'm going to turn to Jessica Cleaver, who wanted to know about a story behind one of my best crate digging finds. And folks might find this a little bit hard to believe. I don't have a ton of great record digging stories, and part of it is because a lot of my collection, especially in the 90s and 00s, were purchased in really nice, very orderly record stores around the Bay Area, like Amoeba, Rasputin, The Groove Merchant especially. Uh, I spent a lot of time finding records online, but I did not spend a ton of time going through basements or warehouses in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I have a couple of those stories, but for the most part, compared to, let's say, your DJ shadows of the world, I did not get my hands that dirty that often looking for records. I do have one story, though, which will always be, if I may quote, uh, Morgan is precious to me. And this happened almost exactly 18 years ago in the spring of 2002, where I took a extended record road trip with a couple of friends from the Bay. And this is the only time I've ever done something like this. We flew into Chicago, drove down to Indianapolis, made our way to Columbus, then Cleveland, then Toledo, and then the trip for us as a group ended in Detroit. I ended up flying on to New York City, spent some time there visiting friends, and then took the train back from New York City to the Bay Area, which is a trip that I would never, ever recommend anybody do, but that's a story for a different time. When we were in Columbus, we decided to do a half-day side trip to Dayton, which is about less than an hour outside of Columbus. And we were, when we were there, we were told to check out a record store, which when we pulled up to it, it looked like a beeper store. You got to remember, this is the early 2000s. Beepers were still a thing, but there were no records in sight. And so we thought maybe we had come to the wrong place or maybe the store had closed and had been replaced by a beeper store. But we asked the proprietor, hey, we heard you might have some records. And he went and pulled back this curtain. And in the back half of the store were boxes of 45s and LPs on the wall. This was great. The problem, though, is that we only had an hour left before this guy was going to close shop. So we just had to like run through as much as we could. And in going through a box of 45s, I came upon multiple uh, copies of a song recorded by a Dayton group known as Overnight Low, originally known as the Ohio Majestics, and the song was called Rev J. Rev J is, was a decent find by any means. I think back in 2002, it was a record that at the high end you could get maybe $100 for. The find here was not so much that I found a valuable 45. It's where I happened to find it and the fact that it happened to be a Dayton group whose single I discovered or found in Dayton. And when I came back home and told my parents about this trip that I took, my dad said, hey, oh, that's cool. Did you know that Dayton is where I first lived when I came to America? And I actually didn't know this story. I knew that my parents had come as a couple to the U.S. in the mid-late 1960s as graduate students from Taiwan. 
But I always thought they ended up in Indiana and Michigan because my mom went to Ball State and my father finished degrees at Michigan State and the University of Michigan. Uh, I was born in Ann Arbor because of this connection. But when he originally came to the U.S., where he started was at Dayton State University. So inadvertently, I ended up revisiting the city that my father landed in as as a young immigrant in his God, he would have been in his early 20s at that point. Uh, And I had never known that he had lived in Dayton. And it meant something special that I got to go to Dayton. And I managed to find a local Dayton record while in the city. So for all those reasons, the Rev J single is never leaving my crates under any circumstances. Thank you again to Jessica Cleaver for her question. And thanks to all of you for submitting your questions uh, via our Facebook group or anywhere else that you would like to drop us a hint about something you'd like to hear me riff on for these mini episodes. They are such fun for me to do. And with that, on behalf of Heat Rocks and my own site, Soul Sides, thanks so much for listening. And I will see you back hopefully next week. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.